and welcome back to the rewind i'm josh and this is a podcast where i watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends today's episode is about this little old movie called avatar the way of water joining me today he's been brushing up on his navi it's elijah howard elijah what's going on oh well got the camera <laughs> yeah that's that's more that's more navi than i know uh, <laughs> i think that's, I, I, i'm pretty you, you sure you could have made that the... up I'm pretty sure that's the ICU. I, th- I think that's oh, yeah. you, like they're you could have made, you, you made it up, and I would have believed you. But uh, I did the I did the I did the good. intro to Navi on Duolingo. Just you know the, the first two lessons. So. <laughs> well, I'm, well, I mean, I appreciate you putting in the effort because you know our our our, our friend Josh Brown was supposed to join us for this. Unfortunately, he, uh, some medical issues have kept him away from the movie theater. So he's here in spirit, but I think he actually might have gotten to be fluent in Navi. If so, it's 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 a shame we don't have his expertise. But uh, I think Elijah and I can get the job done. Avatar: The Way of Water is the long-awaited sequel to James Cameron's Avatar from 2009. Uh, you know, long awaited, delayed for production reasons, delayed for COVID reasons and delayed for this and that. Now, finally, finally got released in December, though. We're recording this in January for, uh, you know, scheduling reasons. But I mean, I, I saw someone put on like I think plenty of people are still seeing it. Elijah. I saw someone like post like a very big IMAX AMC image of their like the seating chart for a showing they were showing up to uh, like a day or two before that would have been for today we're, film, we're recording this on monday the 23rd and it was just like like an like a 215 monday showing somewhere that was like more than half full and like it's like people should be at work on like 215 on a monday and they're like probably it was probably like 75 percent. honestly is this crazy uh so i think like you know we're, we're a little late to the party but i think plenty of people are still going to be uh watching this for the for the first or second or third or fourth time at the time i post this episode so perfectly happy to be doing it now with you um avatar the way of water picks up you know 15 years after the events of the first movie uh, when the Navi repelled, repelled the Sky People and during their invasion of Pandora, uh, Jake Soli, if you recall, at the end of the first movie, he, you know, he he kind of gives in to, you know, being a full-time uh, Navi and is able to kind of like, you know, divest himself of his human form. Uh, he's been like raising a family with Zoe Zelanos, Natiri. Uh, they have two sons, uh, Nateam and Loak, and a daughter named Tuk, and an adopted child named Kiri, who was born from uh, Sigourney Weaver's Grace's inert avatar. That's a mystery as to how exactly uh she became pregnant and was able to give birth as an avatar that wasn't really active but they've raised uh kiri as their own uh also running around is spider a human that was kind of left behind as the son of the late uh colonel myers miles cordich who was played by stephen lang in the first movie they, they can't put the uh, little kids in cryo so when all the humans ran away they had to leave him to kind of be raised by the humans that were still in pandora but he was also you know in part raised by the navi uh yeah, but you know, because of you know, Earth becoming less and less habitable, the Sky People have decided, hey, let's let's give this colonizing thing one more shot. Give it a good old college try. They come back. They they take over. They uh they temporarily uh you know kidnap uh, Jake and Terry's kids, but they get them back. But they take Spider with them. Uh, worried that Spider is going to just lead them to where they've, you know, they've been kind of camping out at a home base to kind of hide from the sky people. Uh, Jake and Natiri end up taking their family to uh, off the grid to live with these people who uh, live a very different lifestyle as opposed to being in the forest. They're on the water. They're the Metcaina. And we see what happens as they try and, you know, adapt to a new way of life and also hide from the sky. people. Elijah, I guess I'm, I'm first before we even dive too, too much into this. Can you give us a little context for uh, your feelings on the first Avatar movie? I know you're kind of excited to join the talk about this one because 
Uh, as those of you know who've heard Elijah on the podcast before, he does work in the uh, does work as a colorist, so he has some level of expertise in special effects. And just because of like everything, the, all the ways in which the Avatar movies were, you know, visually groundbreaking, I'm, I know you had some level of interest in just kind of talking about the movies from that perspective. I have no idea if that had your interest in talking about this movie had anything to do with your feelings on the first movie. I'm totally ignorant of them. I'm wondering because I had a unique experience with the first movie in that, like, I don't think I ever rewatched it after I saw it in theaters the first time. And I just kind of consumed all the internet dis discourse about it over the last 13 years. And I'm like, you know, I should probably watch that thing again before I talk about the new movie. And I missed it when they put it back in theaters last year, but I like watched it and I was like, oh, I think I had like, I was also Team Hurt Locker in 2009. I remember that much. And <laughs> so I think th that combined with like hearing people talk about Avatar for 13 years, I was like, ah, oh, man, it's probably gonna be bad. I'm not gonna enjoy this. Uh, if I go back, I gotta go back and watch it just to do my homework. And it didn't feel like homework to me. You know, I had a nice time watching it. Uh, on like my laptop basically and i think wow okay it worked for me that much on a laptop the uh, you know it, movie must have something going for it so i mean did, were, were your uh are your feelings on the first avatar any more or less negative than mine do you consider it just a great accomplishment even if like you know you acknowledge like kind of the same criticisms people seem to have of certain james cameron things or i don't know or do you have more complicated feelings of it what was your kind of reaction on the first one and how did that color your anticipation of like whether or not you even thought this is a worthwhile enterprise to engage in like 13 years later yeah, um, so I saw the original Avatar, I want to say probably six times the year it came out. Um, okay, so I it's fair it. to say you were a fan originally? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I was 13, I think, when it came out. And I guess, so this would be, I really, we're talking about 2010, So that, because the movie came out in 2009, but it was like December of 2009. And so... I think, you know, if people remember this sort of <laughs> avatar fever, uh, you know, basically it really, it really was, it, it was less of 2009 calendar year and more of sort of that 2010, that summer, the following summer, I think is when a lot of, you know, just kind of, it was still in theaters. Like it was still, I remember it being, I, I'm not sure if it lasted directly in theaters all the way through like summer of 2010, but I know that it came back into theaters that summer. Um, so I, I saw it probably twice when it came out in theaters the first time around. And then again, maybe another, yeah. I mean, I, pro I probably saw it twice in theaters, then another two times uh, that subsequent, you know, the summer of 2010, and then I, um, so I was, like I said, I was 13, 14, right about then I it was my, so 2009 would have been, I guess that would have been like my first year of high school. Right. It was um, my freshman year of college. So that makes sense. You're four years younger than so, me. So yeah, my first, first year of high school. And then that following summer, I went to uh, a high school where I was in the IB program, um, and we, there's a requirement to do community service as mm. part of your, you know, getting your, yeah, getting your IB diploma. And so what I did for about four, like every summer, four years or so, um, was uh, I worked as a camp counselor, like an assistant camp counselor um, at the Museum of Science and Industry in Tampa called Mosey for short. Mm. And they used to do summer camps there. And every summer, 
you know, there was di- different camps and each camp kind of had a different theme. And usually the themes were pretty topical, you know, about things that kids are interested in. I don't know what kids are into these days, but like, you know, I remember the last couple of like the last year that I was there, there was like a Minecraft camp or something like that. I don't know, like 2012 or 13, something like that. So yeah, so that summer, uh, 2010 was my first summer of volunteering at, at Mosey. And of course the camp, one of the the big popular camp was Avatar themed. Huh. Um and so, and the, the, this, you know, you're talking about like middle school kids, you know, fifth graders, sixth graders, right in there, that age group. And there, the thing was like, they were going to make their own avatar movie. Hmm. And so I was assisting with that camp and I, we probably watched it another two times then. So like I said, I think in total, I probably saw it about six times in that, you know, uh, in that that 12 month period between when it was released and the next, the next winter. But this is not, so all of this is to say though, that like in 2009, I was, you know, 13, 14, I did not really have particularly developed opinions of film. Or, and you weren't watching with the same critical eye. I'm sure you would have, if you were watching it at, you know, at age 27 as a, you know, right, exactly. And so you know, I liked it because I liked, I liked what I saw it as, which was just this visual spectacle. This, you know, just it was it was unlike anything I had uh, seen otherwise. And you know, I to so to be clear, I it was not particularly didn't have a particularly developed critical opinion, but I had still seen a lot of movies by age thirteen. Um, you know, one of which for, you know, several of which, for example, were movies that at the time, you know, you're talking about like late 2000s, there was a lot of these kind of experiments in 3D realism um, for feature length movies. There was like the, I remember there was a a movie adaptation of Final Fantasy VII. I think it was the video game Final Fantasy VII. They they did a movie adaptation called uh, The Spirits Within. Um which I want to say was 2001 or so. So this is several years before, and it was completely computer animated, but it was attempting to be realistic, you know, Hmm. fully 3D, fully realistic. It does, you know, obviously it did not, does not look great by today's standards, but that was the, that was the benchmark at the time. So, you know, going to see Avatar in theaters just completely, like, blew that away. It it was really not like anything I'd ever seen before. Um, And I liked it for that. I did not really care much about any other aspect of it at the time because that was all I, you know, really took from it. Um, And I... It's funny because, you know, that it was a time when I I did not have particularly developed critical opinions, but I was starting to get there. I remember watching the Oscars and like you said, you were Team Hurt Locker. I, if I recall correctly, I think District 9 was the movie that I was like okay. most, most obsessed with, even more so than Avatar. Like mm-hmm. I liked, I liked Avatar because of the visuals and what it looked like and what the experience was like. 
but I remember watching District 9, way too young to be clear, uh, <laughs> watching District 9 uh, at 13 and just being, you know, like devastated. My sister couldn't finish. Like we, my mom, my sister and I went to go see the movie. My sister walked out. She couldn't finish it. And I remember that being like one of the big things about it that I liked was that like I could endure this like mm-hmm. terrible, hard, you know, movie. Um, I should I should I should also be clear if we're like opening up to other movies outside of those two, I would have hundred percent been Team Inglorious Bastards, but like you know, it was between yeah, I mean, kind of those two all along. So I uh, I love Inglorious Bastards nowadays, but I don't mm-hmm. I didn't see it until like two thousand and eleven. Probably it was probably a few years that A Serious Man was the same year. It was another one that I you know that I love now, but um, I had no idea about it at the time. Yeah, yeah. I took you I for remember, a blindside rem- guy, just saying. <laughs> oh, no. I remember being concerned that a blindside was going to win because I, I specifically did not like blindside. Oh. <laughs> and I think that was and, and I'm, I'm approaching a point here. Right. So, okay. uh, you know, my sister and I are four years apart. Um, I think my sister is your age. So, OK, sounds like, it, yeah. you know, um, my sister was in high school at the time, uh, was finishing up high school, was about to go to college. Um, and I remember her this being one of the first instances where my sister was like uh like you know like we would watch we were watching the oscars or watching something about the oscars and her being like the blind side's racist (laughs) um you know it, it 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 patronizes and infantilizes uh this you know this character and it's a white savior narrative which is is funny considering the context of avatar but I remember that being, um, you know, kind of, I, I didn't, I don't even think I saw Blindside until like after the Oscars at some point, but I just remember just like having a bad taste in my mouth about Blindside because my sister had this sort of feeling that it wasn't, uh, it, it, it was, it was sort of a phony movie. Huh. See, I actually, I actually read the book well before the movie ever came out. And so I was excited for the movie. And I, I don't think I was necessarily, even though I was a freshman in college, I don't think I might have even understood the criticisms your sister had at that point. I just wasn't really as well versed in those issues. I was just like, oh, this doesn't feel like that. This doesn't feel like a movie of like that level of craft. This didn't like, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I kind of just like had that impression from watching. Like, this doesn't feel like a best picture. This doesn't feel like something that should have like this many Oscar nominations. I just remember thinking that of it. But like, while being like, okay, I get it, this Avatar thing. It's something special. Uh, even if like I'm not as into it as I am a few of these other movies, I kind of get why it's like everyone's treating it like a big deal, you know? Right. And so, and you know, I, I remember, um, you know, I remember fairly early on, there was some chatter of this idea that the, the that I think the initial conversation was, and to some degree kind of still is right that the movie the movie's big sin avatar's big sin was that it was unoriginal i remember some of the earliest kind of comments on you know there's ret- retrospective ideas about the movie was that it, it was the same movie as dances with wolves or pocahontas without much uh without much really going beyond that right like there was not really uh, there wasn't really much more depth to the to the argument than that was just there were some people who had noted this is just dances with wolves with a new coat of paint. I feel like the 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 sort of the idea that the movie actually harbors some questionable social uh, aspects 
developed over the years mm. and and i and and so as i grew up and became more you know interested in uh you know the the critical world and the, you know being able to assess movies from a critical perspective um you know i grew up alongside the kind of the development of that argument right and so it was very it it, it did it was something that i was aware of and something that i i think to some degree just sort of internalized and became part of the way i talked about the movie it was like yes it, it basically i just sort of grafted it onto the beginning of my thoughts about avatar it was right like <laughs> it's like yes it's just dances with wolves redone yes it is just a white savior movie but it also looks amazing and there's nothing else like it um well so so as someone that was like kind of having that evolving opinion like I mean, I guess at all, at some point we kind of just accepted the, like some version of we were probably going to see some version of the way of water at some point. Like we knew for several years, like, I mean, James Cameron, one of like our great living filmmakers is just like in, in a lab somewhere cooking this up, you know, uh, working on his thing with all of his computer imaging, getting it perfect, getting it just right. And I think, you know, I think at a certain point, like people were just like really skeptical it was going to be good. And that, that became like the that's that's the thing a lot of people heard over December and January is like, how could we have doubted Big Jim? How could we have doubted him? But people did when you go away for this long and you take this long to make another feature film, like you kind of get why people kind of like we're thinking this guy, this this man, this man has lost his marbles out here playing with his playing with his uh, avatars. And uh, so I'm wondering, like, but what, like, what was your mindset going into this at this point? Where I mean, or I, I, I think a lot of people got excited after that first trailer because I thought the trailers for the that they cut for Way of Water were actually really good. And you're like, OK, like this, this thing exists. It looks like they probably did. They got, it looks like they probably got some. They, they at least got the. They're at least going to probably blow our minds again with the imagery of nothing else. I think people were excited after that, but like, I guess did, did that did that do it for you? Were you? I, I guess I guess I guess what I'm trying to get at is like, given given everything we th thought and heard for over the last 13 years, did what kind of place were you in when you finally got to go see the Way of Water? And what were, what were you? And what was your level of excitement? And what were you kind of hoping to get out of it? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I signed on to do this podcast pretty early on. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think Josh may have been a little bit earlier, but I also was I was mm -hmm. there pretty much out of the gate as soon as I knew that this was really happening this year. Yeah. That was the only thing I was really, you know, maybe concerned about. And, and to be clear, I think it's also, uh, I don't want to say revisionist history, but like there was, I definitely remember there was a good chunk of years after the release of Avatar where I think discussion of it of its sequels was, you know, considered, uh, you know, smoke. It was not there. The people, I don't even think there was really any solid evidence that he, that or like, there was no, there wasn't, uh, I think there was a general feeling that it, it wasn't actually going to get sequels. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was until about 2016 or so when, they started to actually like put stuff together for the sequels and they were, you know, starting to get budgeting and starting to put sets together. And then I think in 2017, they actually started shooting stuff. But I, I remember it just being, there was just several years where it was like, oh, we may not even get a sequel to this, but, but the reality is, I mean, you know, you, like you said, there is definitely this response once it came out where people were like, oh man, how did we bet against big Jim? But it's like, this happens every time. Every single time Cameron has made like a huge movie, 
everybody just assumes it's going to be a mess. Like everybody assumes it's going to be a failure. People there thought so. Same... People, so people, so people really thought that about Titanic. Just like, oh yeah, they're yeah, skeptical. Plenty yeah. of people. Yeah, plenty of people thought Titanic was going to be a was going to be a disaster. That was the joke. The joke was mm-hmm. like, man, you're you're making this movie about the Titanic that is going to be the metaphorical Titanic. It's going to be its own sinking ship. Yeah. Yeah, and people said that about Avatar. Um, you know, there there the, the about the first movie. Um, you know, there there was by the time avatar came out there was a lot of disdain i think people forget for big budget sci-fi or big budget cgi heavy sci-fi movies primarily because of the star wars prequels the star wars prequels put an entire generation of film viewers off of the idea of like big budget sci-fi uh cgi extravaganzas if you think about between revenge of the sith and avatar there's really nothing to fill that that quota yeah you got yeah, i mean basically um, between that time like at, at, at that point i guess only only like basically like one marvel movie had even come out and you know mm-hmm. the, and, and iron man wasn't even in the way we think of like the cgi in like a lot of marvel movies today you know yeah certainly not not the way uh this you know not, not the way this is uh, you know, you're talking about 2009. You're two years before Thor comes out. Three years before the first Avengers movie. You know, I think Captain America, the first Captain America movie, I think also came out. 20, in 2000. I think it was that might have been 20. Was it 2010? Yeah. Was it in the next year? Yeah, that sounds about right. I have to go back and look. 2009. I think 2009 is probably the only other example I can really think of, which is Star Trek. Oh yeah, first Avengers you know? actually. First, first Avengers actually July 2011. But yeah. Thor was 2010. I guess the Incredible Incredible Hulk was 2008, right? Or 2008 Uh, or 2009. That doesn't count. (laughs) (laughs) But no, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I I would say probably, you know, Star Trek. District 9 was a big, uh, you know, was a big um, uh, coup, you know, kind of in that in that it was a VFX heavy sci-fi movie that kind of undercut the notion that like you need a lot of money to do this because it was right it was like comparatively made for very cheap right. it was 30 million dollars to make district 9 versus uh what was it 400 300 200 240 200 it's like 240 million for avatar hmm. so so you so, say so you you were you were you were pretty geared up for the spectacle but i guess what what I'm curious to ask you about then, given what you were kind of talking about with respect to your your recollection of like how you felt about the story beats in the first one was like, you know, do you I mean I guess first you can you can you can I mean you can say like whatever you want as far as like if you if you have any big picture thoughts on like whether uh, whether whether Big Jim pulled it off, but also I'm more curious specifically as to like do you think that do you think that like how do you think they did in making this story stand apart? Because I think you can like you can kind because you can kind of be like i don't know i really know if the story even did that much for me but like i still think this thing's worth the price of admission i probably fall a little bit more in that category myself but like do you think that like they did enough to like kind of tell a story that like felt a little different from like the first that that felt like it could stand on its own from that first movie and uh how did you ultimately feel like 
they did in like you know with this final product the good thing about it uh, a movie that's 190 minutes right is that you have plenty of time to kind of work out some of the narrative kinks sure. which i think is is good because it's funny uh, i would say it's almost a half an hour longer than the first one right and that extra half an hour is the slurry at the beginning of the movie that i think is the worst part which is just kind of like the place setting of having to reestablish everything and introduce all these characters again. I just want to throw a and, Yeah, and and the environment in and visualization are very disinteresting and fundamentally the same as the first movie. I think once you beat that part of the movie and you're past that, and they go on the run and they go to the Metcaina to the Water Clan, um, you know once. Once they make that flight, it becomes an entirely different movie. And it's hard because it's like, obviously, this you know, this movie picks up 15 years after the first one. So you need some time to to do that stuff, to put that kind of like remind everybody where we are, introduce all the new characters kind of thing. Um, it's a it's a slog, but it's kind of it's necessary. I think it could have been done slightly more excitingly hmm. but it's also clear that like that's not what that's not what jim cameron is interested in he is he wants to play around with the water stuff so everything else is just getting there as efficiently as possible and i think it it does that much i think it does it does all the initial place setting efficiently it's not exciting it's not good but it's it's efficient and then i think the rest of the movie is uh, you know, I, I think it's totally different. You're asking about, you know, very, like how identifiable is it from the first Avatar movie? I think everything that happens after they go to the Metcaina, you know, they go to the Water Clan is it's. It, <laughs> I don't even know why people like it's. It's bizarre to me that people are like debating this point. Like, oh, it's too. Is it too similar to the first movie or not? It's like I don't know how you watch this. The set, you know, the the entire second half of the movie. And think that it's in any way similar to the first. I don't. It doesn't hit similar story cool. beats. It doesn't have the same characters besides you know the primaries. It, the the ending battle is the stakes are entirely different. Well, I, well, I think I think the big I think the big picture story is fairly similar in that these colonizers want to take over, but like there's plenty within it that's different. I would say. I think it. Yeah. I guess maybe the end of this, and I'm not doing a spoiler section. This thing will been about for so long by the time people listen to it. But I think the end kind of left a bad taste in my mouth as far as like them not just like killing off Corridge. You know, I, it's like I, I, it makes me a little worried they're bringing him back. And it's like this is a kind of a different, in, somewhat interesting way to do it the way they did it. But like I don't need you to go back to that well. And it was just kind of like kind of reminded me that they kind of just like reused the dude, even if like there's other stuff in there that's like you know like uh, yeah i don't know i i think it's clear that they're trying to do something with him and that it's not going to be finally developed in this movie Mm. but there's 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 we know that there's other movies planned i just think it's i'm not and look i'm not blaming this on i'm not saying this is you or this is i'm you know i'm not saying this necessarily where you're approaching it or i just think it's it's kind of a bad faith argument it's like no it's like watching star wars films knowing that there's going to be more star wars films and being like what the movie's just the jedi versus the sith and the sith the, the sith get away at the end 
And I'm not again. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be you know denigrating to your opinion, uh, you know about the film. But I just it. I feel like if this was any other tentpole franchise, you know, film, that wouldn't even be a like nobody would be questioning it because sure, that's sure. that's the way that we do tentpoles now. And do, like, look, if you're asking me, do I think that tentpoles could be done in more inventive and exciting ways? And do I think that if there was a person to do it, it would be James Cameron for sure to both of those things. I'm not saying it's the necessary. I don't think it's the, it's, it's a, it was a, it's not the, I'm not, it's not the strongest James Cameron film, but it's already a weak James Cameron film is better than a lot of other, you know, tentpole franchise movies. Yeah. 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 I, I got you there. And, I guess there, there's plenty with, again, I guess I was just kind of, it, it probably didn't help that they straight up killed the guy off in the first one. I just kind of was like expecting like some new cool villain in, in a certain way. And I don't know if they, and, and, and they, they, they didn't necessarily go there though. I will say, you could say the first one, obviously, you know, first one about colonizing inspired by the war in Iraq, all that stuff has some stuff about the environment. Uh, I respect that this one, even if like some of the bigger, uh, big, bigger, uh, some of those bones are similar they, they do go for it in the environment in a different discomforting way, you know? And I, I guess, I, I guess I just want to make that point. Like I'm, I'm kind of making these other points that like didn't bother Elijah as much about how stuff, some stuff are similar, but I don't know if I've ever been like as uncomfortable as I've been in a movie in quite some time with, I was with, as I was with the whale hunting scene. And I give him like credit for going somewhere and like, probably like in, in a movie that like, you know, it, I mean, it, it's PG 13. There's going to be some kids there like to make something like that harrowing and that uncomfortable in a movie like this, that you're, we were aspiring to like make tons and tons and tons of money. I actually kind of like, I, I kind of respected that as much as I, like, I, I didn't really like it. I I've seen the movie like two and a half times basically. And, uh, I, I, I think I already talked, I don't know if I told you, but I told other people, like I, I ended the, the first, the first day, the first day I like when I, um, I, I, or when I first went to get tickets, like I just couldn't, I didn't get, I didn't look at it soon enough to get them for like a, you know, like a regular six, 6 PM or 7 PM Friday showing, but I got it like for like 10 AM the first Saturday was out. But then I had a friend passing through town. I hadn't seen in over three years. And, uh, and she was like, Hey, can you get lunch on Saturday at 12? And I was like, well, if I was seeing any other movie that started at 10 a.m., then yes, uh, but not this one. <laughs> I found like a, I found like a, a later showing the, the Sunday after. And I, but like, I was like, I'm not doing anything else at Saturday at 10 o'clock before this lunch. I'll go watch the first hour and 40 minutes of Avatar and then I'll just go to the bathroom. And, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and then, or then I'll leave. And then the next day, when I see, when I see it the next day, I'll go to the bathroom at like the hour 40 mark or whatever and then not miss anything. And then I saw it again, like three weeks later. And I was just like, all right, I know I can leave like whenever they do this stuff to these whales. Like I don't need to watch that again. Like, I, so th that was kind of how it worked. I was like, all right, on my next viewing, my, uh, my bathroom slash refill, my popcorn and icy break, that's going to be during the whale thing. Uh, and, 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 and so that was what I did. And it's like, man, like, I think like he found some like really, really like ways to viscerally like differentiate this self from it. I'm just kind of like, I don't blame anyone that's like, hey, I, I I wanted a little more out of the story. But like, if you're going to Avatar for the story, you're probably going to Avatar for the wrong reasons at the same time. I feel like you should be going to like, just kind of have like your face melted off by like the look and the action, you know? And I would say I, I, I certainly was, I, I certainly got there with it in the second half of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would agree. And I don't know where you want to go next, but we can certainly, there's more, there's obviously a ton to unpack with the, the execution of the film itself. So. Yeah. Well, I guess maybe, maybe I'll just dive in then. And, and I mean, 
I think part of the execution of the film is like how you like we kind of talked about how like they the, the 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 first part of the movie like tries to like you know they, they do a lot of table setting i mean uh but like part of that also is introducing these uh, these new characters these kids um and, and and all that who like play their own really big role in it as as the movie goes on and i, I i'm right there with you and that like i mean i was like really into the movie for like basically basically once they got to the water as funny as it is to say given the name of this movie i was like very in once they got to the met Kaina. and before that i was just kind of like eh this all feels even more familiar than like all the other stuff we just discussed and i'm just like i don't really need to be in this part of the world i'm ready to get out of the bring me bring me bring me big big gym doing water things that was where i was at <laughs> and i and i was very happy once we got there and I'm, but I, but I but I am curious. Like, what did you think about like what what did you think about these kids? Because I actually like I feel like I've seen some I've seen like I've seen reactions like all over the place. I I was actually like really kind of like impressed with what Sigourney Weaver did uh, in this movie, and I, I don't mind. I, I mean, I, I get it. It didn't even like really like I knew she was playing the role, but like it, I never was like, oh my god, this is weird. Like a seventy-one-year-old woman's voice is coming out of like a teenager's avatar. Like it never like I never had that weird reaction that it seems like some people did, and I just felt like that was like the that that was like I mean they obviously spent more time on air uh, kind of compared to the Suns, but like it, it, they tried to develop it more. But it did feel like it, it was I felt like to me she was giving one of the best performances in the movie when whenever 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 uh, Curie's face was on screen. Whereas like with the kids, I mean the the younger son just kind of felt like a, I don't know like some kind of stereotypical problem child. And the first one and, and the older son just kind of felt like cannon fodder at a certain point. Like, I just kind of knew that like, look, they, like they, they, they who, who would they kill off in this movie to give it stakes? And I don't think they're killing off uh, Zoe Saldana or Jake Soley. Like this, this son, like he seems like he's got to go at some point. Cause this other one's getting a lot more time. So I was like, I don't know if they really did a ton with that, but like, I kind of, I, I really enjoyed what Sigourney Weaver did. How did you think the movie like balanced, like trying to accomplish all of its goals while also like bringing in new characters? Yeah, I mean, so starting with right with Sigourney Weaver, I mean, again, this is one of these things where it's like I think you just have to get with the weirdness where it's like, I, and I did for that, yeah, yeah, like if it, it, I guess, like if it's gonna bother you that you know there's a seventy year old woman playing, a, <laughs> you know, playing an ostensibly teenage child, you know, alien child, like okay, but. I don't think it's the it's certainly not the weirdest thing that a film, you know, decision a filmmaker's made. And it's also one that clearly has a point. Like this is not, I don't know, this there it's this is not it's not just like trying to jam a cameo in or something. Like this is an important character in the story. And so I I, I feel like it it just sort of works. Like I, for me, it worked. Like it was she's supposed to be playing a character who is not like she she's not uh comfortable or familiar with her own body she doesn't understand why she exists that's established pretty early on they have you know she they you see her talking to the catatonic uh you know to to Sigourney Weaver Grace Grace's older catatonic uh avatar like She's a character who is supposed to be, you know, kind of a representation of that that struggle between like what makes somebody Navi and what makes somebody human, right? The idea of like this the spirituality. If like if they if there is a shared spirit, then like 
why are they fighting kind of thing, right? Like, which is, you know, whatever thematic material. But, like, the point is, I think the character works as a representation of that, as being sort of this character of two worlds. And that's illustrated, I think, great through Sigourney Weaver's performance. You're right. She gives one of the best performances in the movie. I'm not particularly surprised that she gives a better performance than some of the kids. She does happen to be, uh, you know, a three-time... Academy Award nominee, four-time Emmy Award winner, a t- Tony winner. She's a she's an extremely accomplished actor. It just it just um, never even felt that weird to me. Like I guess that just speaks to like how like effective she was. I, I it's just it, it right. just it just kind of worked, and I just felt like there there was just immediately felt like there was just like so much more to her. I mean, part of that too is that they had some really really beautiful scenes of her just like you know. Uh, kind of coming to grips with this uh, connection she had with the with with the Mechaina underwater, uh, and I really th- was yeah. just like I I found myself entranced whenever they showed her doing that. Um, yeah, for sure. And as far as the rest of the kids go, yeah, I mean, I think one of look one of the weakest parts of the movie is going to be uh, Nateam, the older the older son, who mm-hmm. uh, Jamie Flatters does as as much as he can with. But let's be honest, Jamie Flatters doesn't have a Wikipedia page. Uh, he's not a <laughs> It, it was very apparent from frame one that this is your stock, you know, uh, protector brother who is going to jump in front of the bullet for younger brother who's better characterized, uh, more uh, exciting mm-hmm. and gives a slightly better performance. Again, if we're going to, you know, criticize this movie for using stock characters, I don't really know what we're getting at. And like, it's I think in a movie that has an as massive of a cast as this movie does i can i can allow it that sin i mean it's not it, it's not the worst thing in the world i wish there had been some more characterization but again it's already 190 minutes it's hard to imagine a place where you insert more of this without this movie becoming a mini series i thought the rest of the kids did a pr- pretty good job i mean obviously one of them is a literal child she's like i think the character is supposed yeah. to be eight i think the actress is maybe i, I don't know not that much older yeah, i know uh, no, i i wasn't expecting you to give like a detailed breakdown of like how that eight-year-old did more just curious like how you thought he did and kind of jim did and kind of like you know just like setting up the family and setting up the stakes and i think i, 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 say, I think, I he think did the family feels realistic yeah. which is is useful uh you know it, 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 the the dynamics between the characters don't feel unnatural and i did kind of buy even if you don't really see that much of what their status quo had been for the last 15 years other than a couple of montages i did feel the weight of them like actually leaving to go to the met Kaina. i think that speaks to the the the, the, the the their performances in those smaller moments and uh just how between the first movie and here in the first 30 minutes of here like how uh just what that connection was they had to that land i think i think they did a good job of establishing that it was basically just kind of wanted to wanted to get at and how it kind of like you really feel for them when they're when they're when they are literally like uh fish out of water while they're in while they're in water you know <laughs> right exactly fish in water yeah um, um but uh and i will i will also say one thing because i'm just randomly will go to bat here for something that i some mm-hmm. i've seen, seen some people kind of get a little upset about or you know just be bothered by or making jokes about is like the kids dialogue especially between each other um and how it it feels dated and kind of silly 
uh, the way they talk to each other. And I actually think that was intentional. And hmm. I, I would go to bat for that being a kind of smart, intentional choice. The also. So the the movie, the first movie was set at, or the first movie was, you know, released in 2009. It's set in 2154, but the characters talk a certain way in that movie. And it feels very 2009 in the original Avatar, mm. right? So to me, it's a smart observation that a group of people taken with 2009's lexicon, even though it's mm-hmm. supposed to be 2154 or whatever, <laughs> that a group of people t- with that lexicon taken and put in isolation for 15 years, they're not going to develop, their language is not going to develop the same way they would if they were interacting with people normally. Uh, with other people speaking the same language and developing a, you know, an interaction. They're the only people speaking English to sure. each other. Well, see, so I, I, it, I, it I, makes I, sense I, that their language sounds like it did 15 years ago. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's funny you say that because I didn't even necessarily take it as them speaking English so much as like, there's a moment at the beginning where like Jake is just monologuing. He's like, yeah, no, it took me a while to pick up the language. And now I just, now I may as well be hearing English. And all of a sudden they, they go from like speaking Navi to speaking English. And I thought it was kind of like, this their way of acknowledging like look not all these people were in english but like jake's comfortable and we're putting this in we're putting you here from jake's perspective so we're just going to show you english and so we don't have a we don't have to write all these characters as speaking navi i so that's that, so that, i mean that, that's fine too you know yeah it's fine i i, I wasn't bothered by it and i the, the the quality of the dialogue didn't even necessarily bother me either like i didn't i wasn't like oh my god this this seems cringeworthy like 2009 dialogue that never even hit me but like what you're saying also makes sense even um, my, my feeling right is even if it is supposed to be, you know, the sort of representation of them speaking Navi, it still makes sense in that regard that it's like they're speaking Jake's Navi they're, or they're speaking over, you know, that it's taught to them by their family. Mm-hmm. So it would make sense that they pick up sort of Jake's style of speaking, which has not changed. Yeah, true, true. I like I said before, I thought that I thought the trailers were really good, but I honestly did. I don't, I think I probably only watched them like a couple of times and wasn't even paying that much attention whenever it played in front of other movies I saw for the first 11 months of last year. So I wasn't really like really prepared for what to expect for when they actually got to the water. When they first get to the Mechaina, I was like, I, I was fairly blown away. Did you have any like specific options? I mean, I'm guessing you probably thought like, look like, yeah, Big Jim pulled it off. He created this whole other world here. Then it was fun to play. And did, did you have any other specific observations though, visually about like, what they pulled off and just kind of like creating this whole other ecosystem within Pandora. Yeah. I mean, I think part of what this is something that I think you can maybe get away with is that water biomes, right. In movies don't really need to look like much because if we're, if we're saying that the planet plays primarily by Earth's rules as far as physics is concerned, <laughs> then then a watery environment is going to look fairly the same on Earth as it would anywhere else. If you're, you know, saying that they're the water functions the same way, you're going to get oceans, um, and oceans look like they do. That's not to say, though, that there is not some really stunning examples of, you know, the environmental design that made the first movie what it was. 
right? You could you could argue that they're playing with one hand tied behind their back, or you know whatever you want to say that they're they're only playing half a hand by having this set in a watery environment. And we can get to the tech that went into making that look as great as it did. But I still think there's some really phenomenal environmental design. Um, I think obviously you know something that springs to mind is uh, the place that they take. Um, the place that Kiri and uh, and the other children go, that's kind of like the home tree, the tree of souls. Yeah. Um, it's like the tree of souls, but for the for the Metkayina, that's in this like really cool, you know, like rock structure that both feels it feels massive, it feels unique, and it also still feels contiguous with the rest of the world. Sure. That's, that, that we remember from the first Avatar film. Um, there's this kind of design element that Cameron liked to use in the first one, and it sort of repeats here. I don't... I, I'm actually fairly lightly read on, like, the behind-the-scenes stuff with the design itself. I know that, like, they, you know, they were inspired by the Huangshan Mountains in China, the you know, the, the Mountains of Heaven, those kind of things. But there's this element that re- kind of repeats, which are these kind of like limestone, like these stone-like arches th- that appear in a lot of the design of Pandora. And something that I've just kind of like always subconsciously associated with it is this idea that like the planet is supposed to have this like essentially magical bioelectric magnetic life force, right? And it reminds me, that design element reminds me of, like, what you see when you, like, hold a magnet to, like, to ferrous metal flakes, you know, like, to ferrous sand or something like that, where you get, like, these arcs uh, of sand from the magnetic energy kind of going through them. And so I've just always kind of interpreted that as being, like, this is a representation of the you know, of this biomagnetic electrical life force that's sort of running through the planet. It's so strong that it holds up these like rock arches. And that's this design element that's repeated in Avatar in the first one and in in this film as well, especially in places that are like, uh, like, you know, spiritually significant to the characters. And so again, I just all of this is to say, I liked that there was some visual continuity with those elements from the first film kind of being repeated here while also obviously giving us <laughs> uh, beautiful coastal landscapes and sunsets that, you know, rival anything that we'll ever see in real life. So I can't hear you. You're, you're muted on my end. Yeah, I, have, I, have, I have a question too about the look of the film for you. Cause it's not something that really like, struck me that much while watching it though i'd heard people talk about it going in and i've heard people talk about it since but a lot of people are talking about the frame rates and and like referencing other movies that have kind of messed with frame rates in similar ways in the last few years something that i know ang lee became a little known for with a couple of his last couple of movies and <laughs> and i'm not saying that that's what they did here because i think whatever they did here i thought it was seamless because it wasn't like anything kind of jumped out to me like it might have in some of the the movie the like the other movies i just referenced was that something that like you, you were conscious of as you were watching it and uh do you notice any of that technology being uh being utilized in a way that kind of enhanced what you were watching or was it something that distracted you or was it something that was just almost out of sight out of mind like it was for me once i was just kind of into it yeah so i 
my projection that I saw of it actually had some issues. Um, hmm. The non HFR stuff did not. Um, it, it there were some instances where there was uh, non high frame rate material that played back with like a slight stutter. Um, and I think that was actually an issue with my theater more so than the the actual film itself, you know, the DI, the mastering of the film, because Cameron himself has, you know, talked about how they were doubling, doubling frames for the 24 frames per second stuff. So it was, it should have presented as HFR anyways. Um, so I think that the issues that we were having in my theater was just more of a some some projection kind of issue so i i can't necessarily speak Damn. to the, the experience for everyone but i you know i know that some people are kind of mystified as to why um you know why there was you know why they why we use hfr stuff like that i will say <clears throat> it does have an actual technical purpose uh for 3d hmm. um a lot of stuff in 3d especially when we're talking about stuff like this where you're talking about a, any individual scene is like 90 to 100 percent vfx like every element of the image is is some form of visual effect um hfr just helps those things play better why why, uh, why, why, why do you think these movies are enhanced by 3d in a way that like so many others aren't i mean there has just been like a lot of 3D back backlash since the first Avatar, you know. I think, and I think that might have been a big reason why, like, it almost started becoming a default for like any kind of temple movie to like have a 3D option. It just, it, just to a comical extent. But like everyone is kind of accepted when like Way of Water was back in theaters. Like, all right, we're doing this in 3D. Like, why do you think it's just simply a matter of just like how much depth and detail he has in these worlds? Like, is, or is there some yeah. other more technical explanation for like why we don't mind it like, for Avatar while we like got sick of it for just about every other type of movie? Yeah, it's because it's, it's goddamn James Cameron. <laughs> um, you don't bet against Big Jim <laughs> underwater or in 3D. No, I mean, look, it's, it's, a, it's a fair question. And the, the reality is, right, there is, after the first Avatar, you're right, there was this huge rush of, for, to have everything in 3d and i think that helped people to immediately identify that there is one kind of there is there is so there's a few kinds of uh thought processes when it comes to making films 3d and one the most obvious one is we're going to make a 3d movie and that means that we need to play things to the screen to give people their money's worth you know and that's where you get stuff like piranha 3d right where <laughs> All of the 3Dism of the movie are are 3D sight gags. It's throwing things at the audience to remind you, hey, you're watching a 3D movie. Here's mm -hmm. a chunk of flesh, and here's a big evil fish coming off the screen. That's a good point. Yeah, these movies aren't concerned with doing that. Right. And then you have the other approach, which is like you said, you know, just kind of like people being like, well, fuck it. We got to throw 3D on this. So just, you know, we'll throw an extra camera for parallax on set and then we'll you know do a di in in 3d we'll do a master in 3d and that'll be whatever there is the third kind of filmmaker though that is really just james cameron like i i struggle to think of another filmmaker that has done what he does with 3d successfully which is play to the strengths of the technical format 
without being obnoxiously showy with it. 3D just works for the way James Cameron directs films. James Cameron already is a director who loves these sweeping shots with parallax, with layers. You've got plenty of shots in... I, I noticed this while re-watching the first Avatar as well, before going to see Avatar 2, and it happens in both movies. This James Cameronism that he loves is like... And he still... I mean, admittedly, he stole it from David Lean, who was doing it 60 years ago in you know Lawrence of Arabia but you've got like camera moving one way moving left to right subject moving right to left background you know all things separated by layers of distance and atmosphere and background that's how you make something look just like totally mind-blowing in 3d without being showy and obnoxious it's not a sight gag you're not throwing something at the camera you're not shooting a gun at the audience you are showing them depth and making them feel like the set and the scene extends past the viewer everything that's the the key to making strong 3d is making the audience feel like they are sitting in the environment, not like the environment is spilling off the screen onto them. Yeah, it's just too um, credit. It just never feels too showy. And it's really impressive because I, I, so that's what I normally just, again, that's just what I normally associate with 3D movies. So. Yeah. And I think it's just, yeah, I just think it just speaks to the strengths of Cameron as a director that he is able to communicate a lot of really amazing imagery through 3D without it being like that. You know, one thing that I think you know that he had in his bag that you really necessarily hadn't had to see in a lot. Like, I mean, Titanic is obviously like one massive set piece. And I mean, I think the first Avatar has some like, you know, fun, like fun visual moments. But I think like in the in the in the scenes in this movie that involve boats, um, I just think like especially especially the one that's like the attack on the whaling ships. I think he just reminded us that he could like if he just really wanted to, he could just make the most kick-ass action movies all the time and just do nothing else. You know what I mean? Like I like made noises in my seat during my first viewing uh, <laughs> with, with, with the first, with, with the sequence of the attack on the whaling ships when like all the mech hyena and like, just kind of like, just like attack these dudes. Um, I mean, I, I don't even necessarily have anything all that insightful to say other than I was just like, wow, this movie is just, it just rips right now. I, 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 I was speechless. And you know what, Cameron, you you want to talk about how absolutely based James Cameron is? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think he'd be actually, happy to talk about it if we asked him. I mean, he, right. he gave a fun press tour. We didn't even really talk about that. But uh, but sorry, continue. He uh, stated sometime recently in an interview, I want to say, um, that he actually cut out about 10 minutes throughout the film of just like gun shit like just like as he described it it was just like just people shooting at each other um because he his feeling was like we live in an age where there's just too much of that we there's too much uh heroes uh there's too much of this idea that heroes shoot guns hmm. um and he wanted to cut back on that uh, and he didn't want to be identified as a filmmaker who leaned on the, you know, on the on this fetishization of of gunplay for heroic action. So, like, that's a testament to we're talking about, like, how great the action was. And mm. it was intentionally pared back and it still <laughs> slapped. It still was just 
Well, yeah, I mean, like, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just going to be cooler when it's like someone doing some cool jump through the air and like shooting a bow and arrow with precision. It's just like more fun to look at than someone just like shooting a gun. It just is, you know, even if like at this point in time, then it seems like the Navi have their hands on a decent amount of guns. And obviously the sky people would have as well, but like they just don't even, you don't even really think about that when you're watching just action that is that incredibly well done uh, and choreographed. And like just in, in, there is so many like intense moments there and uh, where they just don't, they don't get that bloody with it, but so they preserve the PG 13 rating, but like so many moments where it's like, wow, that thing hit that other thing incredibly hard. And I just like, or that, or just like hey they shot that they shot that arrow right through that dude and there's just like yeah. so much of that in a way that just like i mean and then the, and then one the one dude gets his arm ripped off and i'm like oh okay like <laughs> and it's like yeah. it just, it's just so it's it, it just escalated so effectively and i i i, I just don't remember the last time like i smiled like that in an action movie and like giggled and and, and made those kind of noises not 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 during a bond movie not not even during like the last mission impossible movie which had its own oh shit moments but like i i, I guess like you know there, there's the there's the scene where Korch actually gets killed in uh in avatar which is I mean it's cool to watch uh Nuriti use her arrow but like nothing like i mean and, I, and again i just rewatched that movie less than two months ago and like there's not really any action in it that really sticks with me you know, again, I still I still like the movie fine and enjoyed rewatching it more than I expected to. But like, so I came into this like thinking, all right, like there's gonna be pretty stuff to look at, and I didn't really have much expectation beyond that. So when all of a sudden I just got like a kick-ass action scene right at that right right at that point, and I I was just like totally caught off guard, but in like the best way possible. And I just that's I, that's I, the I joke. Want... Right? Sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say that's the joke about the first Avatar movie mm-hmm. is like you think back to it, there's actually not a lot of action in the first avatar movie period like right. there is there is the the big fight at the end there's a couple of little fights at the beginning but primarily avatar is like an adventure film more than anything and mm-hmm. i think the strongest like to me the strongest scene in avatar in the first avatar is um <clears throat> jake bonding with the uh with the uh the uh it's a Toruk, right? No, not Toruk's the big, uh, the big evil dragon thing. But the when mm. when he bonds with the little one the first time when he becomes, oh, you know, man. when he becomes officially part of the clan, he goes for his first flight, right? Like that. You're just talking about like James Horner's score. All there's all these elements coming together that make that, and the, to me, that's like a thrilling scene. Like when he captures that, uh, you know that that flying rat dragon thing. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what it's called. You know, that to me was like, that was like a thrilling scene. I rewatched that movie also a few months you know ago now, right before this came out. And that was like, that was still an edge of the seat kind of scene for me. But you're right. I mean, it's it's the action in Way of Water is better because I think it takes a more significant role in this film. But I think the, you know, we want to talk about like the technical side of it. Something that I didn't quite understand when I saw the first Avatar and was concerned about when I was looking over the details for the second Avatar was that there's like four credited editors, including James Cameron. And I was like, oh, God, like there's a lot of hands in this pie. But then I went back and looked, and it's it's actually the same editing team as the first Avatar movie. 
Mm. Um, I think this is just kind of the group that he works with. Um, And it's rare for people who are not movie people. It's rare to see uh, a group of editors. Usually on a movie, people would consider that a bad sign. Right. Um, If there's too many editors, too many cooks in the kitchen, you're talking about a lot of different kind of visions for how a story should be told, how a scene should be cut up. Generally, the the consensus is if it's if there's a lot of editors, it's probably not good. Um, so, uh, being reminded though that this is the way that they did the first Avatar, going into this one, it was a, a little bit better. And looking at the the editing team and the guys behind it, Stephen uh, Stephen Rifkin and John Rafua, um, I think there was a a third guy for this movie as well, David David Brenner. Um, who actually, I think just, I want to say he died before, the, before, before way of water came out. Um, yeah, Fe- February 17th, 2022. Yeah. Um, I actually, I think the movie might be dedicated to him. Now that I'm thinking about it, I recall seeing on the credits, at least, you know, specifically Stephen Rifkin is a, a phenomenal editor. Um, he won an Oscar for the first one. Um, frankly, he probably should have won an Oscar for Pirates of the Caribbean, uh the curse of the black pearl um he edited all i think all the pirates of the caribbean movies or at least the first three and talk about talk about a guy that has a really uh wild swings in quality for the movies he works on not making any (laughs) comment on him but the guy that guy did uh fan josh trang's fantastic four and exodus gods and kings uh as well as like some of the latter pirates movies that like weren't as hot and um yeah just a yeah, uh, but he also oh, did wow. he also did the first pirates and he did Ali and he did My Cousin Vinny. Know, my cousin Vinny. Right. Um, you know, he's he I think it just kind of goes to show you like an editor is really only as good as the material and the and the director they're working with and kind of the, the vision they have to work within. Um I have I have certainly learned that through my time in the industry, right? But um but no, I he's I think he's a very talented editor. I think he I there you know for example gods and kings exodus gods and kings is a lot of things poorly edited is not one of them in my opinion so but all of this is to say a lot of i think the the action the 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 pacing you know this is a it's a movie that is 192 minutes it is i would imagine very easy to get trapped in a lot of quagmires with how you're going to cut a film of that length and still keep it you know, well paced. I will say, I, I, you know, I don't think you feel any of it. I think even the beginning, which is not as good as the later parts of the film, I don't think is slow. I was not like actually bored. Yeah, it just um, wasn't as compelling as what came after. But it was right. fine. And yeah, I, I mean, this, I, we made the mistake, Haley and I made the mistake of going to see this movie at like nine o'clock. Oh, um, my God which I I knew it was a long film. I didn't, I just didn't, it just completely didn't occur to me. Like when I, mm-hmm. when I booked the tickets, we didn't get home until like, like, you know, one 30 in the morning, but like it was, we weren't like staggering half asleep out of the theater. Like it is a energizing, exciting, well-paced film from start to finish. Yeah, I guess. Uh... And, and I, I credit big Jim and the editing team for that. That sounds like a band. Big Jim and the editing team. <laughs> I I agree. I mean, it's like I I who knows. 
I if whenever I go to go to a movie at nine at nine o'clock or later, like I, I've I learned like I mean I've I've started noted certain changes in how I function in the two years since <laughs> I turned thirty years old. But like I I mean even pre then like I would still like I was still prone to falling asleep if I tried to go to a nine or nine thirty or ten o'clock start. So I can only imagine having to sit through this. But I can say as someone that you know went at different hours that weren't quite that late. I uh, I'm I. I, I it didn't it, it it certainly I don't think it really I it, I didn't feel the runtime like I do at certain movies that are far shorter and like you said I do think that's the editing does deserve some credit for that. Do you have any? I mean, did you have any thoughts on him like literally doing a version of the Titanic for the last half hour of the movie? <laughs> right, that was a good one. Right, he, uh, he really <laughs> really stealth bombed audiences with that one. I mean, it's like you should have should have seen that one coming, guys. It's Jim Cameron making a movie underwater. But um, my one take is that like they should have uh, they should have uh, found more of those uh, jellyfish wing things that help you breathe underwater. They should have just like had more of those just like hanging around for uh, for their escape. You know. Yeah, the Avatar movies now like to do that kind of, right? This like to just sort of introduce this sort of like fun, useful little thing and then it doesn't really necessarily <laughs> end up being as helpful or as omnipresent as we okay. see. So yeah, I mean it's there's there's definitely some moments that I could say would be uh I don't want to say plot holes. I hate that you know but it's no yeah yeah i got you i i, I that, that that was just like a thought i had and i think i'd seen that from like then i saw it subsequently from a couple other people it's like man they're putting a lot of effort into like you know who can't get out and who's gonna who's gonna breathe who's not gonna breathe whatever who's gonna use the little mask it's like i thought you guys had some like some nat some natural allies there um oh we're speaking speaking of like natural allies or anything like that we didn't even really talk about the whale stuff but like um i that 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 was just a huge part of this movie bad job by me by skipping to the end on that but like i didn't really have anything else to add on it it's just kind of funny he's like oh you know what i'll do my own sinking ship thing here and like you know fine it was it was well done i was just like i think they they could have found a different way easier way out they made it a little harder themselves than it needed to be but like but yeah like i skipped over the i i skipped over the whales and the, the are they, they're called the are they called the tacoon or something like that i think and the tulkun the tulkun yeah uh, and the Mekayima, they, they they have special bonds with these other whales, and they they can literally communicate with them and just and understand what the sign the verbal signals the whales give, and they can just talk to them like they're people. It's um they're very close. These these animals they migrate away at times, they come back, and uh, Jake's Jake's family, you know, they 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 become you know they they become especially especially the younger of the two sons becomes you know. Uh, more enamored with this than even the Mekaina are comfortable with because they think that the one that uh, the son is bonded with is bad news. First of all, I think there's a couple of just like beautiful shots the first time uh, we meet we meet the whale and J Jim is kind of flexing on us on a couple of those. And uh, <laughs> which I'm like, fine, this does look pretty dope to look at on an IMAX. But but then but then even but, but then even after that, I think it's uh, I, I I just think like I think they set up like look they 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 set they had plenty of scenes there that like make may, may, make it clear just how intelligent these creatures are how like you know how, how strong that bond is how 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 gentle they're how, how how gentle they are unless you give them reason to be otherwise and it just makes it all the more like devastating when you actually have to watch those things get hunted for like a near like what felt like a forty five minutes it's probably only fifteen uh, minute segment of the film. Uh, what what did you think of just introducing just a new beast like this that is like you know a little more than meets the eye yeah i mean i liked it a lot i felt like it gave um 
a reasonable amount of texture to the the characters um and to the culture of the met kaina right like i think this is it could have easily been a movie that did not really characterize its new uh ethnic group if you will that well which would have been wild when you have kate freaking winslet playing one of them (laughs) right (laughs) um it it could have i think become a lot more of a caricature uh, than it did. And I think the the Tulkun serve as both obviously just visually stunning, just a way to continually just 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 slap you in the face with more awesome VFX. But mm. also um it brings dynamism to the the Met Metkaina and it gives them stakes too that feel realistic. Uh you know there is a threat to their way of life. And it's more than just a, you know, capitalistic threat. It's not that they are going to lose their resources. Um, just like kind of in the first movie, right? There's, an, there's a spiritual attachment. There is a a deeper meaning that's not well understood by the outsiders and that is trampled on and that, you know, people have to defend. And I think it's a it's a clever way of kind of reintroducing a similar concept but switching it up in a way that feels totally new for this movie. I I agree with that. Just incredibly moving to like, you know, especially when it's like animals like that, that just like, you're not really working with expressive faces, you know, and uh, to like convey, convey that level of uh, convey that level of intelligence and attachment and affection. uh, I mean, I think really does speak honestly more on the, even more on the actors and the writing. Yeah, hey, Elijah, was there was there anyone else you want to go with this that I didn't touch on yet? I mean, look, obviously, like we didn't talk about I Spider. Could... I mean, I, don't, I mean, <laughs> the whole thing with him and Quartz. I mean, like that's that's just very strange. It's like, oh yeah, we got this other Avatar here with someone else's essence in it. That dude is long dead, so not his kid. And then we kind of like had this weird cat and mouse back and forth game with uh with the Spider character throughout. Is like, you know, was he going to help this guy that was claiming to not be his dad, but it actually kind of was his dad, and that was known by everyone that showed up on the screen at the same time as them uh or did he uh, uh or you know uh or or or, or, or like I, I mean that but also just like it, it did show us some other sides of courts that i guess i can like excuse a little bit more of my criticism earlier about it but like i mean did you have any did you have any take on that because i mean the spider kid gets like a lot of run in the movie yeah look i mean like it's i think it's another one of those things where it's like, I can see that they're developing a plot line here. Mm-hmm. And, right, I, right. and I, you have to just kind of accept that like, there's going to, there's going to be some disappointing open-endedness to it right now, mm-hmm. because sure. this is something that's not going to, you know, this, his conflict, his like spider's personal conflict has, I, you know, his, his lack of, he's kind of, I think he serves as like a foil to Kiri, right. In the way oh. Like Kiri is somebody who looks the part but doesn't feel it, and Spider is somebody who feels like he's part of the family but doesn't look the part and knows that that makes him an outsider, and that's like a personal struggle that he's going to have to deal with as a character that's not going to get sorted out in this movie, and and his relationship with his quote unquote father, which is his his actual human father's conscience downloaded into a you know, into a a Navi body, right? Um, There's just all this, there's like all this just stuff going on with these characters, especially Mm -hmm. those three. I feel like Kiri, 
Quaritch and Spider are kind of the center of this, like, of the thematic conflict, the idea of, like, belonging and personhood. And it, it you're, I think it, you, people are right to say it wasn't particularly well fleshed out. Um, but I, I, I can see I, where I, they're going with it. And it's, I think there's, there's a lot of open-endedness. Like, it could be, I can see a lot of interesting possibilities with where they're going to go with it. Sure. And I also think, like, I actually didn't mind the actor. I feel like, you know, if you're the wrong actor in a part where there's someone seven act feral, like half the time, like that could just be a disaster. Uh, and I, th- I, th- I thought the guy was fine for a guy, as you put it earlier, doesn't have a Wikipedia page, which I mean, just means you're no, 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 no. That was, that was, ne- uh, that was Nateam. That was the only well, no, yeah, for, for a guy who liked, like that actor also, I don't think has a Wikipedia page. Uh, Jack, uh, Jack Champion's got a, he's, he's got a, he's got, he's got a page. He's got a little, he's got oh, okay, a little under him, his belt. Him. I apologize. I apologize for you know <laughs> slandering him there by you know his, uh, by alleging you know his uh, lack of a Wikipedia uh, you know because again just totally worthless with that one. Look, um, I will have you know that he plays kid on bike in Avengers Endgame. Okay. Ooh. Um. Oh wow. <laughs> he, he good for him. He's going to be in the next this new Scream movie that's coming out in a couple months. So good on him for you know getting involved in some other kind of franchise. So you can't just be pegged as an avatar dude. I suppose um yeah elijah any other parts of this movie we haven't touched on yet that you would like to talk about uh i mean look we could obviously we could spend a significant amount of time talking about the visual effects um you know kind of i think for me right we talked earlier about like what um you know what my feeling was going into um you know going into the movie based on how i felt about the first avatar movie and the reality is, is that between 2009 and now, I went from a high schooler who had no idea what I was going to do with my life to being an incoming college student who thought I was going to make video games for a living to being a mid, uh, mid-college mid career student who was certain that I was going to go into politics and work in the foreign service to being a recent college grad who had no idea what I wanted to do again, to uh, working in the film industry uh, and being a, a colorist compositor working on you know post-production and VFX. Um, and, and that's a lot of time. That's, you know, that's, what is, I'm bad at math. <laughs> That's why I'm not that's, a computer. That's, 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 that's why I'm not a video game designer, it's, apparently. It's thir- 13 years, almost half of your life. <laughs> Right. So 13 years, um, I went from not really from from loving the way that Avatar looked and being engrossed in the visuals, but not really understanding any of it to this being what I do, this being my life. Um, And so, you know, getting into this movie, like going to going to see it, going to look and see where we're at as an industry now. I mean, like this is exactly what everybody I think wanted it to be. The first Avatar was a quantum leap. It is, it, there is, there's no two ways about it. It's, it, I mean, we can talk about its box office. We can talk about its, you know, the cultural cachet. We can talk about it as a, you know, a tentpole or whatever, but as a purely as an exercise in visual effects, in filmmaking, the first Avatar movie, I mean, there were entire tool sets and system architectures and and software 
uh, that was that was made specifically to make that film that have now become industry standards. Things that were done for the production of that movie that are now just the way we do things when we make movies. And the reality is, if I had, I don't, because I don't, I obviously we don't want to spend an hour and a half talking about visual effects, but Avatar Way of Water is the same way. And I can't speak to, you know, what Avatar 3 and 4 are going to look like, but at least with this film, it is it is everything that people were hoping for it to be as far as the the sheer scale, the amount of ingenuity wrangled to make this movie look like what it does. Um, you're talking about entirely new, uh, you know, particle simulations, water simulations, light simulation. You're talking about virtual production, motion capture. I mean, the 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 technical leaps made for this movie are they're incomprehensible. When you say, when you say water simulation, what do you mean? What is it? Is it? But like. Wasn't part weren't parts of it in some ways like actually shot under actual water though? <laughs> well, right. So yeah, you're it's very astute. They did underwater motion capture, but I'm sure if you watch the movie, you recognize that it does not. <laughs> that's not what it actually looks like underwater here on Earth or in a even in a uh, in a pre-designed tank. Um, those are still visual effects shots. Um, and that means that all of that water needs to be comped back in. They did underwater motion capture so that they could capture the actors' movements uh, as naturalistically and as realistically as possible. Um, but the actual image that you're seeing on screen is still a visual effect. Uh, and the water is still, uh, yeah, it's still the result of a computer simulation that's rendering trillions of particles uh at any given moment that is calculating for diffraction and refraction that is uh generating caustics you know the underwater lighting um it just yeah well, all these things that you're talking about together i just want to reiterate that again that i agree like i just think it's yes the first one was groundbreaking but like as we already noted, like so much other stuff has been done in the intervening 13 years. So many movies have had big special effects budgets and used their own share of CGI. So I just think it is really freaking cool that like forget about standing apart from the first movie, just that it does stand apart from everything else that's come out in the last 13 years is just really impressive that like there's they, all those other uh, filmmaking teams had plenty of time to catch up to whatever technology he was using. And Big Jim and his production designers and uh, effects guys like they found ways to like still make this feel like it was they were ahead of the curve, which is really cool when you think about like how everyone just thought he was toiling away in obscurity for all this time. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and obviously props to uh, Weta, Weta FX and Weta Digital, uh, who kind of spearheaded, I think, a lot of the uh, sort of the VFX innovation um, that was uh, done for this. Yeah. I it's uh it's phenomenal and I, I'll also say I respect I, I really really respect um you know there, there's currently kind of a conversation in the film industry about the way that VFX artists are treated and that's it's not to say like they're you know there's obviously plenty of conversation that can be had about 
working hours and overtime and the crunch and the amount of pain. Elijah, blink and... twice if you're okay. I won't tell anyone. <laughs> Look, I'm mostly, I, I would like, if anybody's uh, concerned right now, the, uh, we are, um, we, there, there is, I think there is a, a wide gulf between uh, hard work and being abused. And that does happen uh, for sure. And that's oftentimes the result of sort of the way I'm a lawyer. That, I wouldn't know anything about that. Right. <laughs> there, there's, it's a kind of a result of the way that movies are made nowadays. Um, you know, it's sort of, there's a feeling of if you, as a filmmaker, as a producer, uh, as, a, as a studio, right? If you want to get VFX done and you don't want to have to pay people overtime or you don't want to have to, you know, you just uh, outsource everything to different teams. Just send everything out to different teams and have uh, a bunch of different teams handle different things. Uh, and it's a way to keep costs down uh, for the producers for the studio um but what it results in is one i think movies that look uglier because they have to be made in such a way that you can integrate visual effects from uh you know perhaps 12 or 14 different vfx teams um and uh it, it also results in vfx houses being mistreated um this movie was made uh in from the vfx perspective by i believe five maybe six different uh vfx companies you had weta uh weta fx and weta digital uh you had ilm industrial light and magic you had lightstorm um and i think there was a few other smaller places like i think pixel works and Barnstorm and third floor did some like pre-vis, um, pre-visualization. Uh, but like a movie of this scale being done by five VFX houses is it's unheard of. It's 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 something that I think a weaker production would not have uh seen through, right? I think a uh, a production that was being primarily driven by monetary, by fiscal interest, by the, you know, the, the way that uh, the producers want things to be done. And I'm not, I, look, I have no problem with producers. They get the movie made. But um, when you let money drive a production, uh, you end up with a very different kind of product. So I respect the VFX teams that worked on this. And I also... I give a lot of props to James Cameron, who I think went out of his way to make sure that this was done uh, with fair regard for the VFX houses and was done um, without uh, without abuse. And I put a put a little disclaimer at the end: no well, VFX no, I, artists were harmed yeah. in the creation of this movie. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like as 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 much as his efforts to get this movie made have been covered to death. Like, I feel like we would know if like people were mistreated too, on top of everything, you know. 
what you'd uh, think but it's not i mean it's really not always apparent that's 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 a fair point too i shouldn't i shouldn't give anyone in hollywood too much credit about on or benefit of the doubt on stuff like that but like uh i yeah i just uh but assuming he did get it all done right all the more impressive for something something of this scope and just a uh, massive budget and all that stuff um yeah, man, I don't have a lot to add. I, I realize, uh, right, last time I asked you, when I asked you before, if you had anything else you want to talk about, I realized we hadn't really talked about the adults that much, even compared to the kids. But, like, <laughs> I I mean, I, you know, Cl uh, Cliff Curtis played the uh, uh, leader of the Mechaino along with uh, Kate Winslet. And, I mean, again, I, I, I enjoyed getting to see that world. And I would just say, say, I can't disagree with anyone that, like, says they didn't give Zoe Saldana enough to do. But I do think she's pretty great in like in the same way Sigourney Weaver is and just kind of understanding like how to act uh, in this type of a movie with the CGI and all that. And and I'm glad she at least got to bring it on the uh, on the in, during the Titanic sequence. Um, Let's have yeah. it here for Zoe Saldana having appeared in four of the six highest grossing films of all time. I saw that. She's, I mean, I, I, I would like her to like somehow for her sake it'd be really cool if she can just like you know parlay that into like being in one where she doesn't have to wear a bunch of makeup or cg or cgi suits and stuff like that you know so i i hear what you're saying at the same time she's like really good at it <laughs> she is no she, she is, is like unnaturally good at uh at at vfx roles at mocap mm -hmm. roles like she's yeah, I mean she's she's in, the, she's, 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 she's in the Star Trek movies too, right? She is in the Star Trek movie. She plays Uhura. Um, yeah, she's great. I mean, she I... is great in those, but I mean, I I just think like she she was amazing in Avatar, and it came out the same year as Star Trek. Mm -hmm. But I would imagine that Avatar is probably where a lot of people in our generation had their first sort of like recognition of her. Because she was also in Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one, um, in a small role. That. Yeah, uh, which I'm sure is where probably a lot of people actually saw her for the first time. But, um, uh, you know, Avatar being kind of where she had her breakout. Um, and I was curious to see, you know, if she'd be able to sort of capture the same energy again in this film. And she does. She just picked it up seamlessly 13 years later. Like, yeah, you know. I'm just, I'm just like looking. I can count on like, I, I base, I can basically count on like one hand how many of her live action movies I've seen, um, <laughs> and uh, full, fully live action, non CGI uh, things I've seen. She, she was like actually like, I did. Did you see Amsterdam? Uh, <laughs> I plead the fifth. Okay, well, <laughs> you, you know my relationship with that movie. I'm not going to talk for, about it. <laughs> I, I actually, I, I actually don't. And if I did, I forgot. But so, no, no, I'll. Uh, you, fine i'll just say that like she's in it and like everyone kind of like agreed that i heard talk about it, like oh like that whatever she was doing for the little time she got in it that was interesting i would have liked to have seen more of that so it's like you know there's examples of her out there of like you know doing good acting without it just like you know without any uh without any of the other bells and whistles and uh i just hope she's able to like you know parlay that and other stuff but just keep doing this for as long as she wants i mean i don't you know we're about to get guardians three in a few months and after that, like, there's probably not going to be a Guardians of the Galaxy movie for a while. Uh, and w she's already filmed Avatar 3. Who knows when they'll actually get around to actually starting production on Avatar 4. But, like, she's got some time. I hope she, like, you know, 
does it to like flex your muscles in a different way just so we can like kind of appreciate that. But I, I just, I had that thought as I was like watching these rewatching these movies, like, wow, she like really, really is like very talented in doing whatever this is compared to like other people that have like, that are doing it, you know? So, um, yeah. Uh, well that, that, that'll do it for our avatar, the way of water discussion. I'm, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I feel like we could have like, you know, there's plenty of other things we could have given it dove into here. Um, but like, I, I think we've like pretty well covered the high points and it's late. Uh, and I mean, everyone else is like seeing this movie multiple times. So like, I think, uh, everyone else can, you know, I, th I think we've given people enough to go off of to then, you know, uh, go and like think about things in a different way if they do want to go watch it for a third time, which it seems like plenty of people are still doing this movie is making a ton of money. Any, Elijah, anything else before you get out of here, you would like to plug or recommend to the listeners? Uh, yeah, I was thinking about it. Um, you know, earlier I mentioned David Lean as a guy who's a big inspiration for James Cameron. And luckily, two of his films, uh, two of his, his best and biggest films are um, available right now on uh, HBO Max. Those being Lawrence of Arabia and The Bridge on the River Kwai, mm. um, both of which are sweeping stunning beautifully shot adventure movies uh that future that feature uh post-colonial narratives so obviously <laughs> uh, very relevant uh for a discussion about avatar they are uh lawrence of arabia deals with the story of uh, the real the true life story of uh t.e lawrence who was a british military officer uh in the first world war who struck out into the desert to uh try and convince uh disparate uh nomadic arabic tribes to unite against the ottomans and bridge on the river kwai which is set in world war ii and focuses on english pow's who are uh Jap japanese uh, prisoners of the japanese military in uh burma what is now myanmar um and they are and they're forced efforts to build a uh, bridge for the Japanese military. And uh it was Thailand. Uh Burma is is Myanmar. Oh okay. That's, That's uh right. yeah. I uh I, I mean, maybe colonial Burma may have included parts of Thailand, but okay. what is the the country that is now Myanmar was formerly known as Burma. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Um yeah both of them obviously huge influence for james cameron and the way that he makes films and also kind of just his his understanding of uh of of adventure and editing and scope and so those would be my recommendations uh they're both both pretty thick movies i think lawrence of arabia is like 228 minutes holy shit dude <laughs> i've never seen that bridger bridger Kovari is like i mean that that is a that is a that is a lean 160 minutes. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Lars of Arabia is definitely not a uh, evening movie. I would say it's like a good Sunday afternoon movie because um, it's going to take you a whole day. But it is. I mean, well I, 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 I'm still going to say like great recommendation. I've actually never seen Lars of Arabia. It's like a blind spot for me. I and I I did not know it was on Max. So I'm more than happy to get some use out of my HBO Max yeah. subscription. But like, man, 227 minutes. Holy shit. Um, yeah. I will find I will find the time. 
Yeah, <laughs> find the find the biggest screen you can, some good speakers, turn them all the way up, just really blow your head off with it. <laughs> yeah, um, we'll do. Uh, I, 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 that's something I need to like, you know, it's definitely what I need to just like cross off my watch list. What? Oh, so, okay. Oh, I didn't, I guess I did. I, maybe I did know that one best picture. That's what's. That's probably one of the few best picture winners from the last 60 years I still haven't seen that I actually really want to see. So I need to like, I need to take care of that. Um, yeah. As far as any uh, recommendations I have, I don't really necessarily have any like old stuff. I want to, I want to, I want to recommend at the moment. I, um, I, I would just say, uh, I think in the next, uh, in the next week or so, uh, I think I'm going to get for the, they, they, they did a couple podcasts with me last year. So I'm going to reconvene the team of, uh, of Daniel and Gage to talk about, uh, two different types of horror movies that came out in the last week, last two weeks, one being Megan, the other being Skinnerink. Could not be two more different movies in their approach, um, but like both movies are eliciting big reactions from audiences. So uh, at some point uh, within a week or two of you listening to this, a podcast on that will be available. I, I, I highly recommend uh, both of them. I can't guarantee that everyone is going to like them because especially Skinnerink because it's really very, very much its own thing. But like I think even if it's not the kind of movie that like you might like, you you come out of it like respecting what it's trying to do and how it's doing it. And uh, so I would recommend those. And then you can you should have an episode to of us talking to you about it at some point in this in the near future. Um, Elijah, anything you want to plug personally, social media wise or work wise? Yeah. Um... You have well work wise. Wow, I uh, appreciate the opportunity. Man, feel like a bad, uh, bad company man here. But uh, I'll just go ahead and give you my letterbox. Uh, yeah. you can find me at uh, on letterbox at Mr. Smith goes to FL, the number two FL. Mr. Smith goes to Florida. Yeah, I post the uh, reviews sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, Elijah's had a couple of just, like, really, really impressive, like, I mean, really, really personal and thoughtful reviews. He's written of a few movies in the last year. It's 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 been, it's really enhanced my appreciation for those movies as well. So I highly recommend his Letterbox account. As usual, I'm Josh Jernavoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on both Twitter and Letterbox. The podcast Twitter is at RewindMoviePod. Podcast email is RewindMoviePod at gmail.com. As I said, coming up next, probably have an episode on both uh skin rink and megan but also uh i uh there's like other new stuff that's like coming out as we like get their award season uh you already have seen the oscar nominations uh whenever you listen to this podcast but i will as i do every year i will you know uh guilt some of our other friends whether it be elijah or someone else some of the regular guests i end up drafting into service to help me finish reviewing the best picture nominations because you know they're often ones that get nominated that like just got bias over during the year uh, if rrr pulls it out uh daniel has already volunteered to do that one because he loves that movie i really enjoyed it too it's just you know I saw it at a weird point and three hours is a lot of time to devote to go watch something again. I have things to do like watch Warrants of Arabia and watch the Eagles in the playoffs. So, you know, priorities, but like I will be a completist and I will, you know, have episodes on every best picture nominee come hell or high water. And then we'll have our, uh, and once I've like rounded out the year in that way, we'll have our top 10 podcast as usual. And we might be planning some other kind of year end event also. So uh, thanks again to Elijah for joining me. Thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll see you next time. All right, I lied. We have more to talk about. As I joked at the beginning of the podcast, or not joke, this is a serious matter, though. Our friend Josh Brown uh, had a bit of a medical emergency. If you listen to the Pinocchio podcast, you already got the full story. 
We didn't know if he was going to make it back in time to talk about Avatar The Way of Water, a movie which he has been promoting on this podcast for probably over 12 months now. And when he more than that, many yeah. years. Yeah. Many so when, years. so when he when, when he made it to the theater earlier than we thought with his his injuries would allow, uh, I thought, well, why not just let him tack this on? And that way he doesn't end up going for an hour on it on the top 10 podcast because uh, that, that thing's already long enough as it is. So figured we'd just like, you know, have him jump in, give his thoughts. So, Josh, I got to ask, uh, as you said, you've been hyping this up for a really long time. Did Big Jim come through? That's not V4. Never bet against Big Jim. <laughs> oh, man, I, 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 I appreciate you going all out and putting Elijah to shame. He, Elijah just, uh, you know, copied the one Navi phrase that got repeated throughout the whole movie. But yeah, I mean, geez, I, I wonder if I wonder because this, this is awful timing when you had your injury, to, to say the least. I think what it was probably within like less than two weeks of when the movie came out. Right. And no, it was like the week before the movie came out. Right. So not only were you already excited. And then you suffer this injury that kind of keeps you out of the theaters for, you know, the, the better, like nearly six weeks. And you just have to hear everyone talk about how Big Jim came through and never doubt Big Jim. And you're just you're probably just building the expectations up in your head even more and more than than you had already thought possible. And so you come into this movie and you're I, I don't know. I don't know how nervous you were, but like you probably were confident when you've seen the general reaction. So how long did it take you to just like be like, all right, I am in Big Jim's got me once you uh, once you got into the theater? Well, funnily enough. All right. So there's a little bit of a story to this. Right. So I'm not sure if the listeners know, but pre pandemic, I had made a bet with mm-hmm. one of your guests, um, Daniel, uh, mm-hmm. that uh, Avatar 2 would make more money than Avatar 1. All right. And then. Um, and this was before the pandemic, before many theaters shut down, right? And so I made that bet. People laughed at me at the time, right? And then Big Jim said, like, this movie has to be, you know, the fourth highest grossing film of all time to break even, right? And the weekend that I saw it, finally saw it, it did. So while I was in the wings waiting for this movie to happen with my broken injury, the only thing getting me by through this painful experience of breaking my leg was the weekend grosses every day of Big Jim breaking every single record and making it clearer and clearer. I really honestly wish I had held out until the weekend that he finally Oh, so you, 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 you could you could you could you could have thought that maybe you were the one that put him over if you had just waited. yeah 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 <laughs> that would have been very satisfying. And so you asked me what was the moment where I, I felt safe in Big Jim's hands? Well, funnily enough. I missed the first 10 minutes of the movie. I had wheelchair issues. Like the, there was apparently an elevator to get up that you need the manager to unlock the code in. And so I missed the first 10 minutes of the movie, right? Um, and so so I missed the first 10 minutes of the movie. And then when I was putting my 3D glasses on, if something felt off, it just felt off. Like it felt like maybe they gave me like the regular 3D glasses, not the IMAX 3D glasses. It just felt off. And I was just like, where am I at? Like, I felt lost. This doesn't feel like the experience. But everything was in 3D, and then I've, my eyes fully adjusted eventually, right? And then, oh, boy, where I was in. I was in for, like, I was shocked by how much he delivered, right? Every promise Big Jim had made that this movie had to be the fourth highest grossing movie to break even, that... Um, that you know you'll miss a couple minutes in the movie, but that's okay because you'll come back wanting more. That's true. That's true. I missed the first couple minutes of the movie. 
and I wanted to go back and see. If you're gonna miss, if you're gonna miss a couple minutes, the first ten of this one, I'm sure you might have already done a little bit of asking around as to like what happened. Like, yeah, it's you probably missed the, you, you you missed the right minutes. It's a little bit of a recap. It's a little bit of okay, they're coming they're coming to colonize us again, and that's basically yeah, it, you know. And so when I come in, you, I, it's um, the guy from the first, Stephen Lang from the first movie. He's turning into this avatar body, right? And it's revealed that he has a son, part of the Navi clan that Jake is running. And Jake has all these kids or whatever. And in just like from minute one, I was, well, I guess minute 11, I was in. I was in. I was invested, especially because I found that Big Jim, he found a personal theme. To connect this for to connect this this is a movie about him grappling becoming a father and you have this dichotomy between how the general um this evil general is trying to reconcile the fact that his son is on the opposing side while jake scully is trying to reconcile fathering this clan of kids or whatever and i see the personal investment that big jim has along with his other most passionate theme which is water and holy crap the water in this movie was insane every time we were underwater it like again you know we live in florida right i'm not sure if you've been on the pandora ride at disney have you i have not i have better things to do with my life than, wait, no, two, you, okay. than, than wait two hours to ride one thirty second ride no offense to disney adults it's just not my seconds. thing here okay here's my thing right i'm not a disney adult i live in orlando i detest disney adults right but i will say this that Pandora ride where you ride one of the flying tooks, like one of the best, the best ride ever. Isn't right? it always like a two hour wait, no matter when you're there? Yeah. <laughs> um, but this movie felt like it, like the kind of like the first one, it felt like an actual ride. I like in the minutes where we're underwater and we're riding with that whale, I was just like, maybe this is the greatest movie I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and now, you know, because it's Avatar, it's those into those moments are interrupted well, by the inherent goofiness, such as the dream um, Sigourney Weaver sequence where uh, <laughs> where she like comes back and um, she's in her uh, Stamper outfit or whatever and kind of loses the majesty of the sequence. But well, yeah. So I guess that so it's interesting you picked up on the father and something a little bit because I mean I read your letterbox review and one thing I wanted to touch on with you was like where you thought the story like what you thought it got right in its storytelling, whereas a lot of even some of the ardent defenders of the 2009 Avatar would say like, hey, yeah, that might be its weak spot because Elijah and I talked about it a bit and I was a little more critical than he was, mainly because like I was just kind of like eh, about court. How dare you criticize or question <laughs> Big Jim? I, I was a little more yeah eh, about Corage coming back and just reincarnating the same villain who yeah. I mean was fine like uh, by all by most would admit not the best part of the first movie like why are we running it back with him he cut you killed him off like I I I, I came in expecting we were gonna get like a just like a a better different villain or something and it's like all right we're rebooting this dude and you 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 gleaned on to the you know this theme of fatherhood that Big Jim kind of wanted to explore a bit I kind of thought also with the stuff with his sons like because they spent so much time dealing with the hothead son that i just kind of like I, at some point like i'm not the best at predicting what's going to happen in movies i kind of knew this older son was cannon fodder at a certain point it's like look there's going to be some stakes here i don't think they're getting rid of Soli or niridi and like he obviously wants to keep scorning reader reaver around spending a lot of other time on this son this one's got to go and i kind of I, I saw it come in before it even happened and i was like so it's, I, I don't know if the, the father son stuff did as much for me when i kind of knew this one was getting knocked off anyway but like, were there aside from whether it be that was it just that, or is it something else where you thought like, man, I really like how they distinguish this story from the first one because overall, 
yes, it's, it's kind of still about these people coming to colonize them again, but there's obviously a lot of other stuff different that's going on within that. So I think for me, I just kind of, you know, the thing with Big Jim, and this is the thing that he keeps getting criticized for, is that he deals with archetypes, right? Like his stories are simple. And, you know, he is someone that like is, I think, influenced by other blockbusters, right? And so like here you have like the classic Luke Darth Vader situation on one side, but I do find that like he did probably, you know, find some specificity, especially when it came to the um, Jake side where Jake is wrestling with his uh, parenting. Cause I'm not sure if you heard about this uh, in the lead up to the movie, Big Jim did this interview where he was talking about, um, you know, when, after making the first movie and how many years he spent doing so, he came back to his family and like, given that like, and he has a large family like Jake um, and they have like these like new age parenting methods or whatever. And they go to this like new age school or something like that. And he says in my household, you know, I'm a strict disciplinarian and stuff. Um, but also uh, the thing is, is that we have a policy where everybody gets gathered around the family table and are openly honest with each other. And he talked about when he came back from making the first avatar, his kids were like, you're a shitty father. You're not here for us. <laughs> and when you are here, you're very strict and you want things to be done your way. And it's just like, you know. Doesn't Big Jim know best anyway? They got to learn that at some point, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. By the way, Big Jim not being a chill dad. Not surprising me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, and I think I see some of that, like, the specificity of him, like, you know, grappling with both sides. I guess sort of Jake being the good father and gen the general being the bad father kind of wrestling with the specificity of uh, of parenting and it just kind of just came across as personal even if i didn't know that backstory going in and i just like about like just the central conflict of you don't like this general and his son doesn't is is, is you know against everything um he's standing for um and yet, like, he also doesn't want to see his dad die at the end either. And, he, and even and then also the weird complexity coming from um, Stephen Lane's character's point of view in which, you know, Jake is sort of his, you know, Jake, his enemy is sort of his son's surrogate father. Mm -hmm. You know, I just thought that was just interesting. And I just liked how he explored that. Um, yeah. But but also, I also just, like, the thing is, it's just, I kind of find, like, Jim's obsessions, like, and his passions somewhat, like, amusingly earnest. Like, just, this dude just likes water, man. He uh, likes well, I, no, I was going to say, because I got a heart out in less than 20 minutes, so we got to get wet right now, Josh. You got to tell me. Yes. Uh, what were By your... the way, I called this movie James Cameron's Wet Dream. That should have been <laughs> this subtitle. <laughs> Maybe I'll, just, maybe I'll just make that the title of the pod instead of Avatar the Way of Episode 282, Avatar Way of the Water or whatever. It can be Episode 282, James Cameron's Wet Dream, Big Jim's Wet Dream. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, and yeah. what a dream it is. So I was, I, 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 to answer my own question, I was in to, once we got to the water. I, I was, I, I just wasn't feeling it as much. It was, I mean, it just felt a little bit familiar when we were in the forest. I was ready to get to the water and I was just very in on how he depicted the Mekkaina in this community. And it felt really different in a compelling way. And I like seeing the different, you know, the different types of, I, I, I didn't even, I don't know if anyone really understood from just watching the first one that there were like, you know, different types different of species, different species within the uh, Navi. And so I just thought that was a world that they did really efficient, efficient. I mean, as much as the first, you know, 30 to 45 minutes, or excuse me, basically almost 
damn near almost hour really just felt like, you know, just hanging out in the same parts we already knew. Uh, they did a really efficient job of just getting us into the water. And I'm curious uh, what, what really either moved you or uh, blew you away once we get to the water and uh, that he did here. Okay. So one thing I want to say though about this uh, specific uh, new uh, Navi clan, um, I like Kate Winslet, man, unrecognizable. I mean, obviously, because she's playing a blue thing, but just like voice wise, <laughs> like I think, I, yeah, I, 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 I think, I think, yeah, I think I knew she was in the movie, and I still didn't actually like put two and two together till after the movie. Yeah, and it's wild that she came back to working with Big Jim after you know she had terrible working conditions on Titanic where she nearly froze to death, um, and and said that like that was such an arduous shoot and he was very difficult to work with that she would never work with him again. And then she comes out of this and she can hold her breath underwater longer than anybody for as long as a whale. But, yeah, but anyway, on the water sequences, I think it's just like you know, you know, I heard James Cameron describe this where he's like, unlike other blockbusters or whatever, we really want to take our time and just like, you know, linger in these environments and just awe you. And that's what those water sequences felt like, where he's just, you know, there's not like there is a great bit of action that's happening within them, but there's a lot of times where you're just kind of, you know, and maybe this is won't hold up when you're watching it on a small tv when this movie eventually comes out on vod or whatever but in the theater just lingering in that environment and just some of the visuals that it inspires like there's this great like camera shot where like you know the water like the the uh, top of the water is like a like top of the screen like sort of camera flips i don't know if i'm describing it well uh, I, I i think the one that like was really just like the first one that he wanted to just like i don't know flex or just like uh leave an imprint on you was when it shows uh Lilac first bonding with the whale and there's like kind of oh, a shot yeah. of him yeah oh yeah no when, when and by the way side by side you know the first yeah. time you get like the subtitle of like the whale like speaking or whatever it's a little disorienting you know, but like by the by the end it's like holy crap like these whales really are like have feelings and i and i and i i feel like i'm connecting with them too <laughs> yeah exactly exactly first time i'm like chuckling a little bit like i'm like this is goofy and then the second and then like towards the end i'm like this whale is so beautiful man <laughs> And, and again, it, 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 I, I don't know what it is, but it, it, again, during those moments, I was just like, maybe this is the best movie ever made. I don't know. Well, but, you, you also said you were in very quickly once you got in there. And I think that speaks to just like how they nailed it visually. Cause like, you know, you're still, you're, when you come into a movie 10 minutes late, you're probably trying to orient yourself a bit, but like, mm -hmm. seemed like you knew once you got your eyes focused, like, oh yeah, they did it. So I think there, it's undisputable, especially once you get to the water and how great it looks that like, you know, I, one thing I talked a little bit about with Elijah is like, I mean, shit, there's been so many different things people have tried with visually with movies since the first one came out. So for Big Jim to like be in his lab for the last 13 years and still find a way to like feel like he's ahead of the curb and not like things have passed him by during that whole time when he's working on this stuff, he started filming it. What they started shooting this thing in like 2018, right? So it's like, or maybe even a little earlier. So it's like the fact that like he has this going and new shit's coming out. So many new different things are coming out in those last five years. All these Marvel movies that I'm sure you would just say look the same, but the fact is like none of them like really kind of like found a way to surpass what he eventually would do in <laughs> this movie. So I just think it's it, it speaks to like just, and by the way, that's why I never betted against him, right? Yeah. Like when everybody was everybody's mocking, well, it's been so many years since the first Avatar, and it's even Avatar even culturally relevant or whatever. I was like, look, Big Jim, he's the king of the world, established by Titanic. But also, he's the king of sequels, right? Let him take his time. The fact that he's taking his time means that he's putting in the work to making sure that he delivers, right? Mm -hmm. And so 
I that's part of the reason why I never doubted. And then the other thing about this movie too, on top of the water stuff, is like in, in the father stuff, the other thing that jumped out to me was the fact that I feel like this is one of the greatest war movies ever made. Like, and, and the fact that it's in this fictional environment or whatever, it kind of avoids the problem that, like, Truffaut once said about how, like, you know, there's no such thing as a true anti-war film because cinema inherently glamorizes stuff. Mm. Um, I feel like there's a very... I feel like, you know, just the... You know, again, like, this movie feels like the most James Cameron movie ever. It feels like he combined Aliens and Titanic into one movie. It has all his, like, obsessions. Water, war imagery, shipwrecks, right? And I I felt like the war stuff in this film um, was very interesting on both, like, you know, on a fun visual level when, like, when there was, like, a arrow that went across, like, one of the uh, soldiers or whatever, I was, like, cheering when that happened, but also just, like, sort of just his anti-colonial imperialist message or whatever, I still think came through, and then this parts where, you know, I am cheering or whatever, I can kind of, you know, put aside um, just on the fact that you're just in this completely fictional world or whatever, so it's no well, yeah. real world. As I as I told you offline, and as I already told Elijah earlier, like I made some noises during that during that scene where they uh where where they just had the where they went to battle right right along with the whaling ships, and I and so that was the next thing I was gonna ask you about apart from just like the 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 actual look of the movie, um, aesthetically, like what what you thought about what Big Jim was able to do with action because again, as we already mentioned earlier before you joined us, uh you know, for all the great things you can see about the first Avatar, not like a ton of action scenes in it necessarily. Right. And like- The final I mean, one delivers. Yeah, but and then like uh, Titanic itself is like, you know, uh, I mean, that's an incredible feat of filmmaking and has a lot of stuff happening in it, which I mean, with respect to a sinking ship, but not exactly an action movie either. So it's like, but Big Jim, as you know, from things he did before the Titanic, like, you know, obviously knows how to shoot an action scene. It's just, we hadn't really seen him flex those muscles. And since basically you or I had ever been alive, I think, T2 came out the year I was born, basically, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. So, like, what struck you about that as someone that, like, didn't doubt Big Jim, but hadn't necessarily seen him do this kind of thing for quite some time? And I think one of the things, and, like, it should be mentioned on top of, like, directing this movie, you know, he's one of the film's many editors, and it's also... I did not know that. Yeah, I don't know. He edited the first one and got an Oscar nomination. He has won an Oscar, Brad. Yeah, he is listed uh, as an editor. It's interesting. Yeah, for Titanic. And one of the things that I think is remarkable about these films, and especially the action set pieces, is how they're paced. And they're doing some crazy things within it. Within the same shot, like, you know, this movie, I'm not sure how you saw it, but, like, the way it's meant to be seen, it's on the IMAX 3D, played at the high 48 frame rates or whatever. But within certain scenes, within the same shot, like there are parts of it that are moving at one frame rate and then one moving at a different yeah. one. I'm not sophisticated enough. I did not pick up on that, but that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't even really pick up on that. Oh, well, okay. I could pick up on like, you know, he does a lot of like speed ramping, stuff like that. But like, um, but just the editing, the pacing, like the fact that there's complete clarity, like you always know like where you're at. I think both him and Spielberg are like the two blockbuster filmmakers that are great at like establishing geography. Um, but yeah, like I just... Like, I'm not sure about you, but did you, like, keep in mind, it was, that movie, like, was actually painful for me to watch, like, like physically, because, you know. Yeah, to sit for a while, there. yeah. Yeah. And well, you somehow, it looks like you did Babylon somehow within a few days of that, so you're making it through these long-ass ones, even with your injuries. Well, I watched Babylon at home. So. Oh, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know that already, like, became available. Yeah, it came out okay. today. 
Um, so, but, um, um, but yeah, like I, during the action scenes, where, like the movie for me moved along like pretty nicely. I was never bored while watching this movie, mm-hmm. and and then especially during the action sequences. I just think they're so well staged and so well edited and paced and also the clarity of them that like I was never bored. Uh, mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure about you. No, def- definitely not. Um, I, I, look, we, we only we have a little less than 10 minutes. So I'm, I'm deferring to you. Where, where do you, where do you want to go that we haven't gone yet? Do you have any thoughts on teenage oh. Sigourney Weaver? Do you have any thoughts on any, anything yeah, yeah, else you definitely want to talk about? Yeah. Weaver, Cause that's probably the one swing that big Jim takes that I, if I dare say so, that I'm not on board with. How dare you? <laughs> what? <laughs> you questioned Big Jim. I thought we were not allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you're not, you're not. By the way, one thing about this movie, what I love about it, no notes energy. No notes. Like him, Jordan Peele. I'll do, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well, so, I mean, fun. like, honestly, like, I, I don't blame anyone that's a little put off by, like, you know, a 71-year-old woman's voice coming out of, like, what's supposed to be, like, a, a 15-year-old uh, uh, avatar's body. Yeah. But, like, it honestly didn't even really, like, it didn't register as weird to me because I actually thought she was giving like probably because she's a little more experienced in it than these other kids, but like she's given a pretty good performance all the same, but I guess it was still a little off to you maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Like the voice I just felt like was thing <laughs> that not sell- selling it. Yeah. Maybe she got the like body language down or whatever. And in that dream sequence, when you just see her like older version of herself, seeing her younger counterpart and she's wearing the Stanford like outfit or whatever, just took me out of the movie completely. Sure. But then when you cut back to this very trippy sequence where like uh, her character is like connected to like the tree or whatever. And she's like, like going off, like it's like having this epileptic episode or whatever. Mm. That was awesome. You know? Mm. So it was, it was my one note. If I, they would give, you know, the famous thing about James Cameron is that someone tried to give him a, a studio executive, tried to give him a note on the first avatar. And he said, get the fuck out of my office. You see this office? Titanic built this. <laughs> so, I do like know. that, like, you know, that you're just like, fuck it. I'm on, I'm, I'm there for big Jim just having that attitude when I feel like some people might be a little more cynical about it and be like, this is like some serious white privilege, not that white privilege doesn't exist, but it's like, is there any yeah. black filmmaker that could get away with being like that? You know, but you still like, nonetheless, just kind of like, or like, whatever. I, I like that someone just like takes that approach. Well, to happiness. I mean, like, like, here's the thing, right now, this person's no longer in vogue, but it's sort of like the kind of Kanye energy of like, yeah, he's immodest, but kind of earned it, you know, like, I mean, like, not like, you know, Right, like once you have Titanic and Avatar, like, are, are, shouldn't you like get the benefit of the doubt from the studio execs that you've made that much money for? I suppose. Also, like, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think it's part of like the for me, like charm. Cameron, Cameron's filmography, no misses. Right, mm. Terminator, Aliens. I haven't seen The Abyss. Terminator Two, True Lies, Titanic, Avatar. Perfect filmography, according to me. I've, I've, I've also have never seen The Abyss. I've heard it's good. Yeah, yeah. Alita, and, and, Alita Battle Angel. <laughs> well stuff he produces that's a different story but yeah yeah he has a screenplay credit on that though i think you know so yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but also also the other element of it is that he's constantly underestimated like even though he's always proven right first titanic everybody was like this is his heaven's gate they're already writing like you know the titanic headlines they wrote themselves it was the most expensive movie at that time and then hit 11 oscars right when he like said he was the king of the world when he won best picture and people got mad i was like but he deserved it he was right the movie won best picture (laughs) you all doubted him like Mm -hmm. and then avatar comes out 
everybody doubted him. Avatar 2, everybody doubts him, and then he comes out on top. So he's a fun asshole to root for. I'm sorry. It's kind of, I feel a little bit the same way with Quentin Tarantino, where I'm like, yeah, not modest, right? Mm-hmm. But no misses, so they kind of earned it. Like, I'm sorry. It's a meritocracy is how I do it. Gotcha. All right, what else, Josh? What 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 uh, what, what, what other what other stuff do, um is uh, like you just have to you just have to get your takes off on. Um, do 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 do. I I I I love this movie. Um, it's I think it's actually here's the thing. You know, a part of me thinks like when I see the best picture nominees, a part of me is like, yo, like what type of basic person puts like Avatar two as their number one on their ballot. And then I come out of this movie, I'm like, I'm that basic bitch. It's, it's, yeah, it's your highest out of what did get nominated, correct? Yeah, yeah. Or your highest ranked of the year of what did get nominated. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it, 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 it's, I, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm, it makes me more excited for the sequels, but also, and here's the part of me that, like, is doubting Big Jim against my better judgment, is, like, I'm kind of, like, don't understand how he could top this only on the basis of the fact that it's about the one thing he's most passionate about, which is water. Like, I don't want to see him tackle fire. Like, 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 I know his heart wouldn't be is, in it. There's not a name for the third one yet, right? Or people just yeah, speculating no, no, it's no. going to be the fire one. Well, here's the thing. The third one, it does have a name. It does have a name. It's called the Seed Bearer. Huh. So, I mean, is this, is this you think it's going to be it's more explicitly about the earth and climate than the other two have or something, you think? I honestly, I just think he's going to double down on the water. <laughs> By the way, like this is how this is how he described it, right? He said when he turned into he turned in the script for Avatar two, he got three pages of notes, right? Then when he turned in the script for Avatar three, he got one page of notes, right? Right? And he's like, okay, I'm getting a little bit better at this. Then he turned in the page for um, the, the script for Avatar four, no notes at all. Uh, and he I didn't know he had a script for four yet. I just thought he had a. Like, I- Okay. I knew three yeah. was shot. I didn't know four had a script. He says like three is completely shot and then like parts of four is shot or whatever. And he kind of has to, he had to wait till like this movie did well for them to fully like green light it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he said four, he's like, that's the one you don't even know what's going to happen, man. It's going to blow your socks off. Like, he, he, So, I mean, I, I guess you're, you're really looking forward to seeing that in uh, 2031 when, uh, when, when when you were in your, like, uh, mid-30s. So uh, we have that to look yeah. forward to. Maybe, I'll, maybe I will still be doing the pod then, though. I wouldn't count on it. So. I'll be back. I'll be back because, again, the thing why I had to be on this Avatar podcast, right? And, and I don't know what you and Elijah. I'm on the bed, I know. No, Elijah. Elijah was very pro Avatar. You're, you're you're in good company. He was he was even more bullish than me. Okay, but then the other thing is the reason why I had to come on here because since I've been coming on to this podcast, what has what have I been the correspondent for? The the the, the old Arturs that are struggling with their passions. Well, not just that, but the seemingly misguided, big budget, technical, technologically innovative Arturs passion projects on that so note there. josh yeah i was just gonna say Go on that note well, i was gonna say on that note we will see you at some point in the next four weeks to talk about noah Bombach's white noise so <laughs> um, but, but yeah but yes i think you've uh you've, you know you you you've you, you've carved out your niche here between welcome to marwin and gemini man and 
um and uh and avatar 2 was the mother of them all avatar 2 yeah and uh but i mean uh i, I feel like some people i mean i know you i know you saw and uh were probably not as high on white noise as you are other noah things but you know i still want to make that a thing that you and lissa and i do so we might try and make it happen but from what i understand like they actually he actually tries more visually in that than he does in his other movies so and it has a ridiculous yeah. budget so i i, I will oh, enjoy it thing, i have not, I have not one, watched it yet though oh one thing that i will say to compare the two right mm. i will say that white noise has a better end credit song than Avatar 2. Yeah, again, I've held off on watching it because I want to do it the closer when I do the pod, but I've heard everyone talk about the credits. So I'm very curious to like see how that sh- see how that strikes me. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. What did you, what, before you leave, what was your thoughts on the weekend song? Was it a heart will go on level for you? Because it was not for me. It hasn't even I, I honestly could not if you played it right now, I, w- I would not even register as to what it was. It did not stick with me. And I've and I've seen the movie twice. So oh. I'm jealous that you've seen it twice. I've seen it two and a half times. I mean, I, I already told you my whole, I've already re- repeated my whole bathroom and uh, uh, like lunch plan, go see half of it, see the whole thing the next day thing. So I've seen it two and a half Jim times. Predicted. Yeah, yeah. It, it worked out fine the way I had to do it, but I've seen the first half of the movie uh, three times, basically, even though the second half is what I prefer more. But uh, Josh, thank you for bringing the energy. Thank you for being an advocate for Big Jim. Someone has to do it. No one else, no, no one else really is looking out for him. Uh, so I, I appreciate the time as always. Uh, and we'll, and, and, and I'm sure you'll have some more takes and I, I have a feeling this is going to be on your top 10 of the year. So, uh, we'll have that podcast at some point in the next month as well. And you can, you'll be able to get a little bit more off your chest about avatar. Then I'm glad we were able and to also I'll shed, I will shed some tears the day that he beats the first avatar and it becomes the highest grossing movie of all time. And, uh, and, 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 and wins you your uh, longstanding wager. So congratulations to you on that. It is well-earned and we will talk to you again shortly on the pod. Again, thanks to, thanks to Josh and Eliza for joining. Thanks to all of you for listening and we'll see you next time.